I have a question for you. Are you an architect and are you broke? If the answer is yes, it's what I've suspected for many years, as I am indeed an architect myself. This podcast is about debt in the profession of architecture, and I want to hear from you. Are you just surviving month to month with no extra money for savings? Or are you seriously broken in debt and stress and worry about your income? Or does your wife, husband or significant other and substantially more than you, which gives you a great life, given the ability to choose your clients, when you work and who for? Or have you attained financial freedom in architecture? If you're in the first two categories, surviving month to month, or facing financial difficulties, how is this affecting your mental health? Are you suffering from depression or even despair? We need to talk about the impact of debt, but also more importantly, how to get out of debt. And I need you to come forward to make this podcast possible. Welcome to The Brock Architect. You will hear from real architects with very real problems and maybe some will offer some real solutions so that you never become a broke architect please share subscribe and comment to support the channel welcome to the brook architect podcast with jason boyle and i have a really special guest tonight um well Needs no introduction, but um, I'm going to introduce Stephen Drew of the Architecture Social. Welcome. Ooh. How are you this evening? I'm coming to you from South Africa tonight. Oh, I'm still in London. It's miserable and freezing, but Jason, I am I am dying to talk about this topic. I've got a few bones to pick, and I've also got some a few hard honest truths that we're going to ram down everyone's virtual throats in a nice way with a bit of love uh you know but at the same time i think we gotta we gotta talk about the real deal of what's happening and money and salary and all the awkward questions and all the whispers that people have around the coffee you know the coffee pod like what's this so and so or all this stuff we're gonna we're gonna hit it hard and just talk about it Thanks yeah, for having me. no, 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 that and that's what it is all about. Definitely, the Brock mm. Architects. So some people, we've released three episodes so far, Stephen. Um, I'm sure you've had, you listened to all three episodes, but I will tell you this: some wanted to appear uh, anonymously, some wanted to appear as themselves, and then had yeah. to um, decided to change and become anonymous and. Um, and that's all good. So you know, we're looking for we're looking for the truth. We want to talk about debt. We want to talk about architecture. But like you said, it's got to be based on truth. So I'm Fair glad enough. you said that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think you'd have a job and a half trying to anonymize this thick Welsh accent 
and it would be very hard to you know change this perspective because i've got a bit of a weird one because i worked in the industry like you not i didn't get as far as you and you know you've done well and everything but i had a little taste in the industry for a few years i was a part two and then i kind of fell into recruitment because no one goes mum dad i want to be a recruiter you know you kind of just basically fall into it by accident done that for about 10 years and i have actually worked in-house in an architectural practice so i do sympathize on the other side of the fact you know it's not always it's not always as easy for everyone involved it's no. kind of loot i think archi as architects where we would bit of a shit sandwich downhill from there you know so unfortunately i think wouldn't it be great if architects can hire a raise their fees but we'll, we won't talk about that because that's a problem that you are more in depth than me but what i will say is in what i do now so i run the architecture social we got an interactive salary grade you wouldn't believe some of the salaries that people put in there it absolutely blows my mind really you know with like feels like working like for three pound fifty not everyone some companies are paying quite well you know but then the the um the 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 range of the salaries that get put in there are absolutely maddening and the other thing that i keep coming back to right i said i was a part two and i was and i was a part two at epr architects and years ago my part two salary was thirty thousand pounds which i felt like was a good one at the time but i'm seeing architectural assistants part two who maybe now are on if they're lucky in london 32 33 34 but i'm very rarely 35. so on that now? example alone right we're talking about part twos in 10 years have gone up 10% in salary, okay? How much was inflation this year? I, I'm pretty sure it's like 10, 11, 12%, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's put all our cards on the table. And I'm gonna say one more thing before I open it up and you can ambush me with whatever questions you've got, especially now that the voice, you know, modulator's off, you can, you can catch me on guard. But <laughs> let me just say this, right? I always say to people, because I work in recruitment, and money's of course important because we've got bills, you know, we've got to pay for all these things which have increased. And Netflix is trying to charge us for passwords, you know, sharing it out. My mum's going to have a shock when she can't log in my Netflix anymore. Or maybe Netflix get that free pound out of me. But we got to, where the money's got to go somewhere, and we need that cash. And architects work bloody hard, long hours, right? That being said, it ain't going to change overnight. And I really start to see all these unions coming in and talking about these issues. And even I've seen a bit of resistance in the UK with these unions. You know, an architecture practice went on strike. One of the main reasons was about salaries. And that was created a big noise. And then what have I heard now? Nothing, right? And the thing is, the architecture industry ain't going to change overnight. And the reality is, I think architecture is still an amazing job. That being said, though, you have to have a passion about design. You have to really care about what you're doing because if it's if you're in it for just the money, honey, this ain't the gig for you. You know, you you should probably go down Canary Wharf, sell your soul, and you'll be on 120 grand. You'll be on the same money as a prime minister. Probably not going to be fulfilling. You're probably going to end up picking up one or two habits. God forbid you turn into a coke fiend shouting at your friends. What the hell? But hey, you'll have money. But, you know, architecture is amazing, bringing it back from there. You make the difference in people's lives. You help hospitals, you design schools, you make a massive difference. Super, super cool. 
but you're not going to be the richest cool cat on the street. You're going to be the cool cat design and you get invited to the party because everyone thinks architecture is glamorous and everyone will go like, oh, you must be rolling in it. And then you have that awkward thing where you're like, actually, I'm a rogue. But anyways, yes, I am an architect. Or even if you're an architectural assistant, you go, well, do you correct yourself as an architect? Do you say that you're on 32? Do you try and get that pay rise of a grand a year? It's just completely maddening if you don't have that passion for design. So, yeah, it's a bit of an interesting one, you know. So mm. let, let, let's get to you, Stephen, you know, because this is about you and you are oh. on, you're on the Brock Architect podcast. And so I okay. want to dig a little deeper and just um, maybe call you out a little bit here. Oh, so, I'm going to get my bell ready. Now, I normally whack the bell when I get... Um, you know, peeved off, and, the, and we're talking about some juicy subjects. So I'll have the bell at the ready. Okay, no, no, cool. No. Well, uh, firstly, so I'll phrase it in this way. Firstly, so did you know before you got into architecture? Because you went as far as part two, which is yeah. pretty close to part three, and becoming an architect. Did you think, you know, uh, you were growing up in Wales, you went to university. Did you think that architects and you know, and a good living and were, you know, you, you would, you would have to have a good life if you qualified, essentially. I think the truth is I, a little bit of, of me put it out of my mind. And my dad did too, actually. And I'll tell you a quick story, very quick story. Cool. My dad actually went on holiday somewhere when he was helping me go for uni. And, you know, I come from like, you know, a working class background, uh, re, you know, all work really hard. And my dad helped me out where he was. And he went with, um, an architect or an architectural technician or architectural assistant, someone that basically had worked in the, in the local Welsh council for years. And he was on the holiday. And, um, you know, my dad was like, oh, you're in architecture. Oh, my son's studying architecture. And he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, my dad was like, what's it like? And he's like, tell your son now there's no money in there. And my dad absolutely just, it like, it rocked his core. It like completely rocked his core. And then he had a realization of there's no money in there. And he always brings his story up. He always yeah. brings it up over the years. He's like, yeah, that guy just completely blew my world. I think I didn't overly think it. There was partly, I put it in the back of my mind. I did hear a few things. I remember the first job I ever had in architecture practice. I went in and while it wasn't directly about money, I remember a very senior architect going like, wow, I'm, I'm amazed. Uh, and I was like, what are you amazed at? And he was like, I'm amazed that people still come into architecture. And I was like, that was a bell. I was like, oh, God. You know, and I'm that's starting a, to hear all this stuff. That's a sign, isn't it? It's yeah, a sign. It, it, it's, it's totally a sign. And then um, I had it there. But then I also think it's a bit like Hollywood. We have, as architects, we have this romantic notion, right? You know, it's like L.A., okay? Everyone's knocking around in L.A. Everyone wants to be the next Leonardo DiCaprio and stuff. But every, but they, we got like 99% of mere mortals aren't going to make the money. And then they, they're living on the dream. They're living on the dream, you know, and they're working as waitresses. Like if you go to L.A., I imagine you go, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, I'm just doing this now. I'm going to be... I'm, you know, I go to auditions, I'm going to be an actress. And you go, oh, it's amazing. And, you know, the reality is not everyone's going to make it along the way. How many dreams get crushed? I mean, the amount of architects I speak to that 
Um, there's, you know, there's a good chunk that really love what their job is doing. There's a few that have gone, you know, what? I have a family now and I'm just trying to support them the best I can. Or it becomes not even about yourself anymore. It comes about your daughter or, you know, your son. As you, as, you know, as a parent, you've always got them in mind, as you know, Jason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, you got the other bit, which I kind of like, the little renegades. And the little renegades are just, oh, go and cry inside or something like that. You know, I'm fed up. I am doing it. And I'm like, are you sure? I'm like, you know, it's not all glamorous. You're going to be leaving the design behind. You get more money, but it's going to be project management. It's going to be all this stuff. And some people don't care. And you know what? I understand in all ways. I have, though, seen, though, Jason, there's a controversial point in this. I've seen some people go to client side, get a bit of a higher money, and probably after this country taxes you to death, you kind of realize, oh, do you know what? Maybe return to architecture because sometimes grass is greener and you have to work out what you want and i and mm. i think that the the, the trade-off in architecture if you've got the bug you know you've got the bug you kind of love the job you're on top of it and you love the design then you can kind of circumvent the huge salary you know you can you go well yeah. do you know what i don't get to pay the most but i make a difference Could, but yeah, yeah absolutely that's a really important point i think yeah i agree yeah, but you know, it's quite testing though, isn't it? When you've got inflation and you hear stuff and it's very demoralizing, I think, if you go to a party and then you've worked seven years and basically you're a complete loser friend that was an idiot in another course <laughs> who you had a bit of fun with, but you're like, that guy is a complete jackass works for like, you, you know, join the company. And I'm like, what are you doing? And you, there's like a role that you've never even heard of. You're like, I'm a senior consultant and um, you know, a, a shape changer for WeWork uh, version two, and I'm on 90 grand. And you're like, how are you on that much money? I remember you being completely pissed and knocked out and getting your two two in uni while I was just slaving away doing my model. All yeah. right. But what is that person doing? Are they doing something they love or are they just doing the money? Or, and the last thing before I open up, are they. How permanent is that job? Because the same example, I remember a genuine ex-colleague getting a job at WeWork and I was thinking, wow, they've done really well. And do you know what happened at WeWork? They made loads of people redundant because they were paying people too much. And this person struggled to get a job since. So does karma come around and bite you in the ass? I don't know. Uh, wow. You know, you blow me away sometimes, Stephen, uh, with... Uh with uh what you what you're saying and it's it's coming from a good place and it's coming from a real place and that's that's what's important in what we're trying to do with the brock architect podcast and it's um i think a lot of people are sort of you know sending me messages about you know this is like quite a negative um or before the podcasts were released it's you know it's the title is quite got negative connotations but actually what i'm finding is yes people are going through these struggles but they're also navigating their way out of the uh out of this situation um you know people moving to different countries moving to different roles just like what you're saying maybe giving up um some of that design um aspiration um to 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 succeed and, you know, I, and I'm still really interested in a question I have for you is you gave that up, you know, you gave um, becoming an architect up. Yeah. And, and I, I just wanted to be really, really honest about this. Like, you know, did you just do it for money? 
good question. I mean, there's always an element of money, but I think I think for me the biggest problem with architecture is I didn't have so much the bug. I it was a weird one because I love the architecture industry. I obviously cared enough to study about it. I am really interested in this world. I do love design. However, when I sat down at that desk, right, and after all the things I studied, I was doing these schedules and working out roof buildups and all this stuff and how how the walls sink. I was just it didn't interest me, and I think I felt stupid, right? Whereas when 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 I was speaking to people and I was chatting, I used to procrastinate and like speak to all the directors in the kitchen and you know I used to and I used to work out loopholes. So you would have like this amazing director who was lovely. His name was. Richard Barrett at EPR, and he was a family man. And I knew if I talk about his daughters, I get 10 minutes extra in the kitchen. And I could just, you know, as the director, so I was getting away with murder. And I would take the bins out and do all this stuff. And then I had this kind of moment of like, why am I doing this? And I think the biggest tell was that I didn't really want to do my part free. And if I looked introspectively, it's because I didn't want to do it. And actually, in recruitment, yeah, there is more money. And I think Wolf of Wall Street came out at the time, and I was all into, uh, I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, I felt like Breaking Bad. I was like, you know what? I'm going to rip the book up, and let's see what happens. I make tons of money and all this stuff. And th there is a bit of that in recruitment, where you do make a lot more money. I mean, I believe in doing it ethically. That, you know, recruitment's really like um, be given the, the the power of the force. It's like, do you want to be a good Jedi or a bad Jedi or somewhere in between or, you know, picking your battles and all this stuff um but yeah there is a bit more money in it i think the thing is though it's a it's way more risk adverse so so the thing is the steady eddie thing would be to do part one part two part three um and you know it was quite scary at the time to not do that because you almost feel like a failure you're like mum and dad i'm not going to do you know architecture which you spent thousands of pounds on and it's even more expensive now but I, in my heart of hearts, I was like, it's not for me, mate. And then, and then I was like, do you know what? I've got to do something different. And um, I was trying to think what I was going to do. And you laugh. I was either going to become a BIM coordinator, which I, I, I questioned how good a BIM coordinator I would be. But I was like, God, you know what? They don't work long hours. They get paid more. And I was, I've got a bit of a techie side. You know, I do the websites yeah. and stuff. Yeah, but I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, I've got, it's being a BIM coordinator. And I'm not very good at rabbit. I've only done it for a month. So I was like, oh, it's hard to coordinate something you've got very little experience on. And I was like, speaking to me, it's like, what should I do? And he's like, well, you're really good at chatting when you do recruitment. I was like, and he's like, well, you must have used a recruit. And I was like, no, never. I have no idea what that is. And you Google it online. And um, the first thing that pops up is basically everything along the lines of, I hate recruiters. What a bunch <laughs> of bastards. Yeah, they're like estate agents. They're ripping me off and all this stuff. And I was like, all right, well, maybe I can be, you know, Robin Hood in recruitment world or whatever, do some good and what have you. And then when I got into it, I realized why it's paid a lot. And it's it's a lot of money at the end, but there's no money up front. So it's like mega high risk, mega massive turnover. Yeah. And then, But there's this brutal environment in terms of talking about money. It's like basically if you don't bring money in by the end of the month, if you've got about two, three months, if you just don't show potential, you basically get the heave and um, it's much more transparent than architecture because in architecture, I think there's this soft lull, maybe someone's not doing that well, you try and help them out a bit. And then basically the curtains get pulled and then, you know, the curtain, you know, the, you know, the, yeah. basically the trap door underneath appears and it's like, oh, sorry, you're gone. Or a project gets given and you're gone. So in recruitment, there's this, this really like pure honesty to it, all about money. It's all about money. 
And the great thing about that is that it's incredibly, um, as bizarre as it sounds, liberating in a way that, um, you know, it's very inclusive environment as because no one gives a other than if you can make money. And so you can be from wherever, you can have a degree, you can have nothing. You can, you can basically, but you're all in the same level playing fields. Whereas in architecture, it's much more complicated. It's like, what sectors yeah. have you done? What, um, you know, are basically reaper stages you've done and what software you do can really influence your salary, you know? And, and so on there, it's more about your experience, your output and your personality has a lot to do with it. But whereas recruitment is basically like going to a room and how much money can you make? And the, so yeah, they're right. two different worlds. You're right. It's like a, I, I'm not trying to, I'm try, not trying to dish you, Stephen, in any way, um, because you know you did get to your part two, and it's like, you, I guess it's just a perception of lower expectations of someone who's in recruitment against a professional architect, and you know, again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, you know, push that your way, but I think yeah. what I really like about what you did on the positive side is you set up something like a model that wasn't really like a recruitment company. It wasn't, yeah. and I, you know, and I want to talk about all of these, these, these things you want to talk about in terms of, you know, architects and recruitment and, and salaries and stuff. Yes, absolutely. But what, what your model was, was it's like architecture social. It's being socially interactive and embracing social media. And uh, I I haven't seen any of that outside in the world, you know, before, and I think yeah. that's 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 what's quite unusual about. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to advertise for you, but it is mm. very unique in in what you're doing because you've kind wow. of created a you've created yourself as an influencer in recruitment, and off the back of that, you've built this. Um, platform which is uh, got a lot of respect in the industry so much so that you were part of the RIBA I mean you know what what, what do you want to say about that well I'm flattered I think one step at a time I think uh, I think going along with it and having an idea in the head I think the fact is if anyone here will take, take anything about from this is like salary or not right you can do anything that you put your mind to it. And then let's, and, and also there's a few things here. Yeah, recruitment, I've kind of leaned it. It goes both ways because I've, I've had the conversations at a dinner table where they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a recruitment consultant. And I feel like, oh God, you know, this, this talk the other side of the way, like you said, but I kind of embrace it a bit. And that's the fun of the social because actually, do you know what? The social costs a few thousand a month just to run. And where does that money come from? Recruitment. Okay, and 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 also yeah. there's this uh, the interesting bit about recruitment is that in between doing your part three and or your part two and all this stuff, money's a big conversation which no one openly talks about, yeah. and 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 that's something that also I've leaned in in into um, you know the architecture social and I've done a bit of coaching. I do less of it now, and I've learned from you in terms of coaching on that. And and you know a lot of co coaching comes from listening to the person's problem, yeah. but the amount of anguish that is attached with, I mean, I probably reckon out of the handful of coaching sessions I've done, 80% of the energy goes on about 
raising money or getting the job at a salary people are happy with. I tend to less focus on, you know, the day ins and outs of improving people's skill sets and stuff, which also has an indirect, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, cause yeah. and effect with, yeah. with salary. But money is attached to it. And I think that um, recruitment is, uh, as my father calls it, a necessary evil. And um, and uh, I think that that's a little bit harsh. But what I'd say, <laughs> my dad means is, you can't get away from it. There's going to be points in your life where either you're looking for a job or if you're running a company, you need to find people, right? And it's really difficult on both sides. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of stress and money can be involved in both ways. So like, for example, in recruitment, you could charge a fee for um, finding someone because that's how it works. But I'm always amazed. I spoke to someone today who was like, okay, Hey, so if you help me find a job, do you pay me? And I'm like, no, I don't. You don't pay me. Actually, the company pays me. And it sounds like a lot of money, and it is. It can be thousands of pounds for an introduction of someone. And I'm yeah. to go into that more. But as you know, Jason, as a line manager, as someone interviewing and all this stuff, the process of finding someone, even without a recruiter, takes up a lot of time a lot of mental energy and your time if you're a, a, a line manager is billable hours that you're not generating profit for a company oh, so recruit recruitment gets spot expensive on. in general no, no no absolutely spot on and they're getting the wrong person in that position is disastrous you know for mm. a business and that, i think that's what you know we don't talk about enough is like how many um, how many people you can recruit into the business that haven't performed, you know, and, and, and the feedback on, on that one as well. And, you know, I think if you, if you, if you trust a, a recruiter, then you're going to get repeat business, you're going to stay in business. And that's, um that's how it works, you know, and if yeah. you want, if you, which is mean you aren't asking them important questions that we want to know, then that the, there's big problems there, and you know mm. I I think I think from you Stephen like now I'm really interested in hearing some of the horror stories, and we're not going to oh. mention company names, we're not no going to mention people's names because that's not um that's not professional, you know. But I I really would like to hear some stories on, you know the the recruitment side of things um i guess maybe if you could balance it and say you know maybe where um i've been in this position once before where i've like said yes to uh, a project a job for a certain salary and i've turned it down right at the last minute because it wasn't i think it wasn't probably what i was happy with but i felt pressured into accepting it but also, yeah. but also the other way around where the company has switched something um, right at the last minute or, or re maybe not reduce the salary, but increase the responsibility right at the last minute. Have you got any examples mm. you could share with us? Yeah, I mean, there's a few common themes. So we're going to be do devil's advocate. We're going to do two sides of this coin. So I'm always amazed that sometimes someone goes through the process. Maybe they get one or two offers and then they have that, you know, that point where they're like, oh, I think I'm going to go with company A. I'll turn down company B in a bit. But I've, 
at this point, I'll let company A and no one come in, but I have to go back to my current boss and hand my notice in. And you'd be amazed at how many people um, get um, seduced. And I've done it before. I've got seduced into staying in a company yeah. um, where you say, do you know what? Okay, I'm going to scrap going there and I'll stay for a bit. And, you know, it can be a, maybe a bump in salary. But what usually happens is but when you mentally checked out of a company there's usually a lot of reasons there like they've done this or that or and you know in your heart of hearts they ain't going to change and then what happens is the company goes oh no 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 i'm going to change i'm going to do this and that and what happens is you stay for a month or two they don't change everything typically that they say they're going to do and then you're there that other offer is completely gone and then you're generally probably looking again in three to six months and that happens uh, an absurdly high amount. I think there was a statistic that it was, I'll try to find it somewhere, but it's between 50 or 60 people who accept the counter offer still leave the company in six months. So keep that in mind. Top tip is like, if you've got fundamental issues there, uh, you probably they ain't going to change in the company DNA. And maybe you get a little seduced by a little bit of money, which is good. And we're talking about the broke architecture. So, hey, you made a bit of money. Congratulations. But at the same time, do you still want to work in that environment? And are they really going to change? There might be a few that do. But generally, things don't change. So that's on that side. Yeah. I have seen, though, um, people... And the other extreme to think about is I've seen, especially when sometimes in recruitment, they can heat up and it gets a bit infectious, you know, maybe say now, right, me and you, we've been working at a company for a while. You've been there for a while and you're feeling a bit unloved, but you've got Revit, you've got the sectors, Resi's hot in demand and you've done a really shit hot project, right? And you go in and you make a cracking impression and suddenly these two or three companies Okay, um, one to you, and then it almost gets into a bidding war. And you haven't been loved for a while, and you're loving it, and you're in this new area, and it's exciting. I've seen these bidding wars go wrong because you can't play around too much. I've seen it like, say now everyone offers you, you're on 38 grand, they offer you 45, and then suddenly one company. Comes in and they go, let's see what happens, maybe I can get you 48, and then... You, even though you said yes to this one, then you go with the 48 and then someone comes back with the 49. I've seen this happen. I've actually seen it ratchet up to an amount. But then when you start messing people around, suddenly you you originally said you're going to go company A, then you said you're going to go company B, then you're going to company A again, then company you're going to go company C. And do you know what happens? Suddenly it's like Dragon's Bloody Den. Company A and B go, do you know what? You've messed me around and we're drawing the offer. And I've had one, someone who got originally offers at 45, 46. It went up to 49. And then they they left the table. And I've had one example where someone lost all their offers. So that's an extreme example, but you can't get carried away. I've also, in the last, last, last one I'll do before, you know, you open it up is um, I have seen someone take a job, you know, doing... Uh, the, the boom last year, big money, and they're not happy with their role. So, you know, it's really important to scale up the, the money, but you also need to think, well, I'm working 40 hours a week in a company minimum where I want to be. So is it worth that extra two grand? Am I going to enjoy it? So think about all the extreme stories. Yeah, no, I've, 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 I think I've experienced both of them. 
experience them scenarios. So which which is really interesting. But I have been in the industry for probably twenty twenty what twenty two years, um, as a chartered architect. I'm I'm going to ask you some really tough questions, still, and I want to know: um, Have you been in debt? And if you have been in debt, and uh, because you have set up a new business, you know, and 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 like you know, part of being in a new business is that risk, that high risk strategy of being in debt. Um, yeah, I'm interested in you know. Yes, you've been in debt. That might be a yes or no answer. But what I'm really interested in is um, what effect the debt has had on you mentally, and has it led to you um, maybe, you know, I don't know, dealing with that in a certain way with alcohol or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, I especially because there was a few stressful points with the architecture social, especially because I did rack up a lot of debt, especially last year. And I am like, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, I love a cheeky wine. And I do think that there's probably times if we're being very self-critical where I, I you know, I, I, I do have a larger life personality and addictive personality. And I, and I probably had a few too many shandies. I'm kind of, you laugh now, Jason. <laughs> I've totally, cal- I'm calmed down. I'm on the green salads. I see a pint in the corner. Cause I've got a WeWork office right now. People have free beers after free. It's torture. You know, I really want to do it, but I, I'm trying to keep on the straight and narrow. Um, but back to you, main question about money yeah i've been in debt a few times i was actually a negative negative 25 grand last year <laughs> which people are like hey architects are social i'm like oh i'm all in i'm all in and i think that um i tell you what as hard as it is to be an employee being an employer you really have to roll the dice and i think if you if you truly back yourself yeah. you can do it but it can also be maddening i i think the the i have what ironically i was in less debt as an architect because i think you know your money you know your budget every month in sales you can kind of you have a great month and then suddenly me and you go on town you know yeah. me and you, i'm buying you drinks and stuff and then um, maybe my pipeline of work isn't so much. So stress is uh, it's, it's a weird, different way. The only thing I would say, though, is that I always found it frustrating in architecture scaling up. And, and I would say that while I wasn't in debt, it was extremely hard as a part to architectural assistant to get on the property ladder in London. I had to go and share ownership. I live in Lewisham, which I still am in now, right? But Lewisham is up and coming, and it would then, and it's still up and coming now, and there's a long way on this ladder, if you know what I mean. But I'm grateful for it, and I just put every penny I could, borrowed from my parents. I moved in. I had no furniture. You know, I did everything I can, paid them all back, you know, and they really helped out and all this stuff. I think that was the limiting part in this, but I think recruitment or moving away from architecture um, you know, I well, I was on much more. I was on much, much more, you know. So, uh, I mean, there was commission involved, but, you know, in recruitment, I would... The, the, the weird thing about recruitment is you're technically on a, on a low salary, probably between 25 to 30,000, but your commission can go way up to, like, yeah. any crazy, crazy amount. So, in recruitment, I used to be on something a bit more modest, but, for example, there was a guy next to me in the finance sector which used to take home, like, 160 grand a year. It's insane. So, and I, you know, they used to tease me. They go, why are you doing the architecture desk, you ball? But come on here and i was like a slow fees in my section sector you know i can't do anything about it, it develops more pressure you know all that stuff 
Um, but it varies. I mean, it varies. So I've had really good years. I've had really crappy years. I've had years where I, I've earned a lot of money, and it can sound vulgar. I had one year where I, I mean, you know, I made eighty thousand pounds, but I also got furloughed so quickly. And you know, for the last three, um, three years in the architecture social, I mean, technically on paper last year, and you know, and a bear in mind, I'm a thirty-five year old man. I think I like. I took on like 28 grand. So it's like two grand less than what I was on as a part two. So I'm, I'm all in on it going in that way. And I think um, I, even I've had to take my own advice and, and be okay with talking about money. And I think that yeah. it's very easy for me to say this, and but then when it's you in person, it's very difficult. And I've had those tough conversations with bosses before I, you know, I have successfully negotiated salaries, but it is difficult when it's yourself. And, you know, it, it's it's not as straightforward as just listening to a podcast episode and helping, you know, sometimes listening to this podcast can help, but you've really got to put it in your brain like a mantra, like I'm going to go in and I have to justify my worth with um, the salary increase I want. Because if you go in and ask for a salary, it's like, well, okay, and why should I give that? Um, but if you kind of go in and say, look, I've delivered this building, I'm on 50,000. My understanding is that the market's in line with 55. But the reality is, if you give me 55,000, I'm going to take more responsibility away from you as a business owner, then you're more likely to, to get that money. And I think that where I've learned that a bit is from, is it is useful running your own business because you kind of, you see that side of the coin. The last bit I would add to my mini rant before, um, you know, you, you open up to more tough questions is that, I mean, I do think that there is this impression that architecture practices or company owners are flushing it. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of companies making good money. What I would say in the position I'm in now, though, that it is definitely a high risk of business because you can lose everything. So I've just, you know, hired someone now and I have to pay their payroll. So I have to find you know, thousands of pounds per month. And if um, the, a business makes a loss, I make a loss. I still mm -hmm. got to pay the person. So I'm very sympathetic to both sides. But equally, as an employee, there is a set level you can go. And there's definitely like a higher tier in architecture, a glass ceiling that is hard to get to. So most director, a partner in architecture, if they've done really well and you're working for a big company, you maybe, maybe can be that 1% and get between 90 to 110 grand. But there's a lot of mere mortals that will struggle to get past 70 grand in architecture. Realistically, most people in architecture are on 50 to 60K and that's, it's hard to get past that. I, the amount of senior architects, Jason, I know that are on 56K for so many years is um, very, very common. Wow. I mean, that's just, that's just shocking in itself to me. Um, you know, you, um, it's, oh, there's a whole, there's a whole subject we could talk about on that one about whether the um, architecture profession is sustainable um and that you know maybe we can come back to that in a part two um thing but you know this this is about you Stephen. you know this is about your your journey in architecture mm. and i think you know what you know, what comes across is you know your sort of model because there's i 
I definitely know when I go to a recruitment consultant, you know, and you've highlighted this, I think, you know, where early on in the and and what we were talking about that they are seen as a little bit like car sales people or insurance sales people, um, and, and you know, the, but your model is very different to that. Your model is very like open. Let's talk about. Let's talk with architects. Let's talk with. Um, anyone involved in the architecture industry, yeah, I like I like that, and that builds trust. And professionalism is all about building trust. And clients yeah. want to employ architects that they trust. And I think you got that very early on, you know, with the architecture social, and and you know, you were you were given a lot of energy into in into that um, model, um, whether it was conscious or unconscious i still don't know um and uh, you know for me is it's it's like um i'm really interested in um what your belief is of architects and um whether you know they they train for seven years <laughs> you got you got quite close and you know do you think they're severely underpaid for their value. I mean, it's tough. It's a tough price to pay for enjoying design, right? Um, and then I think that's for the whole way through through the gig. I feel like I'm, uh, you know, I watch from the sidelines, and there's a few ways to kind of put yourself in a in a more lucrative uh, position in in the game that is there. So I I kind of. I have a bit of an, uh, I don't know, an out, outlier's view where I, I kind of believe, yeah, I could be like the old man at the cloud saying, architects need to be paid more by the developers. But listen, no developers is tuning in and going, wow, since Steve said that, we're going to whack, you know, we're going to pay the architects more. It ain't happening, right? Yeah. And so I, I think that you can make changes in the immediate um uh, you know, and then the, the media, the, the short term, the medium term, the long term. And what I would say to architects out there is think of it like the rules of the games are set, but you can bend them and, and move through the industry. So I went I went lateral in the industry. But um, if, if you still want to do it in architecture, we touched upon, you know, words like sales earlier. Recruitment, ugh, awful. Sales, ugh, uncouth, ugh. Why would you be the sales? Well, let me ask you a question. What's a crit? What's a presentation? And uh, let me tell you this, right? If you want to be a much more lucrative um, architect, then one of the ways to do it is to have relationships with developers and professional rapport with developers, especially if a developer really likes your work, they've got along really well with you, and they and guess what? They'll follow you to another company. That is going to be worth a lot of money. And the fancy term for that is called business development and i always laugh at that when you go to a business part uh, so if you go to a like a party and you go what do you do and the guy on the left he goes recruitment you're like oh okay fucking hell let's bend him off and then you go to the other person and you go like what do you do and you go well i'm a i'm a business developer for data centers you go jesus wow what is that and the, you know they're pretty much very similar and i think that architects which basically can do business development typically are the architects which get to the top of the company very quick and they're usually no less than a director you know they're at that level or an associate director or a director because 
they have a massive in uh, influence on the amount of revenue that a company brings in. That's, that's, that's exactly what I want to talk about. So I want to talk about this, Stephen, because you've recruited many people into the industry. And I've seen this myself, you know, so you could have the most creative architect in the world, great designer, you know, you'd want him in the companies. He's like, you know, going to be at home in Foster's, Heatherwick, you know, Zaha, whatever. But then there's also the average 2-2, which I think you touched on, you know, the all-rounder, maybe, um, but a bit more sort of business savvy, a bit more go-getting, a bit more personality um, on a much higher salary, and which is which is the whole point of the broke architect. It's not about talking about architects who are completely broke. It's about navigating a way to make, well, make it, it make financial sense. So you know, yeah. what are, what are your thoughts on them? What you've seen and witnessed in architecture? Have you seen them two twos like skyrocket compared to the? firsts uh, from manchester of the bartlett yeah all, all, all the time i mean i got a 2-1 and then my mate who got like a third in architecture because i think he was always batting heads with the you know the professors you know the type and i was like mate you're really smart but you're not making it easy for yourself but he's like a director of an architecture practice and his brain he like knows everything you know all the stuff like i was telling you earlier like i hated all the war build-ups i was like oh my god i'm looking at this like it's uh like it's like algebra i can't understand you know what i mean it went over my head he like lapped it up and um so i mean if you think about grades, they're basically an initial impression. They give people an idea of what you're like in an interview. And even then, they're not the be on or the end all, but they are an indicator. You know, if, if you basically got like a 2-2 two, two or below, I'm like, you know, you got pissed up at uni. It doesn't mean you did, right? But, you know, you, you think you have all these little things up in there. Yeah, exactly. You're pointing to yourself now, but it's audio only, isn't it? So I'm going to rat you out there. I busted. Um, but you, you don't know. You can get a first and be really good at this. But then isn't, isn't there that, that Richard Rogers famous piece of paper that goes around on LinkedIn every yeah, now and then yeah, and yeah. gets a, a thousand votes where it's the professor's just like, you're basically not very good in the class. I can't see you being a big architect. And then it's Richard Rogers, you know. So uh, it, yeah. it goes different way. And also, for example, I know people that, I'm not a very good quote unquote traditional architect, but then they're really good at generative design. They code a piece of software and that can get used in the, you know, in the new property tech industry. You know, you, BIM coordinators are not quote unquote maybe design architects, but they're involved. And, you know, all these like side avenues are extremely lucrative. You do have to be a little bit astute in the stuff, but basically if you're smart enough to, to see a need in an industry and serve it, then that's where uh, it can can potentially be profitable. I mean, that's what I do in architecture recruitment. It's recruitment, which you always need. It just helps that I'm, I'm from the industry and having all these tools and, and having information available for others helps them. And then, hey, if they need to call me in the future, they've seen my name and, you know, and being transparent, that's just being commercial about it. But also it's quite fulfilling. 
And so I would encourage people, if they're good at winning work, then great, do that and speak to clients. And if your client facing happy days, if you're a, you know good at programming and you're good at com computational design, then lean into that. Maybe you're Mr. Project Manager and you know you would do really well working for a you know, property developer or you know a main contractor, then amazing. So you really have to find your niches. I mean, another example, a quick last one before we open up again is, um, really unconventional one is that I, I, I saw an accountant which basically got their part one and, and um, a few years ago and now they're like an FD of an architecture practice and they're probably paying themselves pretty well, you know, especially because you can do the books. But what I mean is that all this industry experience is really valuable, whether it's journalism, whatever, you can do so much. It's such a good degree and diploma. And then there's actually a really good audio book out at the moment called Out of Architecture. I'm not sponsored by them, it's a free plug, but it's really cool because it's kind of the book that I'd like years ago where it says like all your skills that you've got as an architect are really valuable in other, another um, you know, industries. And the last, last, last one I see all the time, which architects are really good at, is in their sidelines and hustles. Architects are very good at seeing a property, cutting it up and making money out of it. And it's not a quote unquote their profession, but they're very good at it. I know a friend that flips property and makes huge profits, cutting them in half in London and all this stuff. And that's the kind of skill sets where in architecture, you can make a lot of money doing, which aren't quote unquote, the job no absolutely absolutely and i'm glad you said that as well you know because i think this is something we we've discussed in uh the three episodes first three episodes of the show where you can pivot you know in in architecture and really well really really leverage what you've you, the skills that you've you've got and I, th I think that's just absolutely critical and i wish that was talked and more explored more in yeah. in the university you know um because i i do find because i do go into manchester school of architecture every year and 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 do you know i'm, I'm part of um critting the the students work is that that sort of set of skills is not there yeah and it needs to be there because you know we can all keep going on about how little we get paid and, you know, how some people are succeeding in the industry and some people are, you know, very much on the sidelines and, and at the lower end of the scale and not even getting work or not even getting employment, you know, but how do you do that? And that's, that's, that's what this podcast is all about. Mm. So, so, so yeah, so I, I, again, I think, I think my last thing to you is is a question you know that I think is um really poignant and it's um mm. it's essentially what advice would you give to a newly qualified architect who wants to do great work but also make a comfortable living yeah oh well First of all, you're going to make mistakes and don't be too harsh on yourself. You know, it's, it's very easy to take what appears to be a great job at a salary. Maybe your first role is just 20 grand and then you you speak to your mates in the pub and they're on 22. And OK, this stuff will even out. 
but you got to just take a little bit of accountability and you think, okay, I've made a mistake. Now I'm going to look for something else, you know, and I think you have to hold yourself accountable to your values. So for example, a smaller architectural practice, um, if you if you fancy having a dog in the office, it's smaller, you want to do a certain typology of building, maybe it's a bit more closer to interiors or whatever, chances are that might be, a, you know, less paying than a, a, a commercial architectural practice, you know, like a, a big transatlantic American company in London, they're going to have some more big bucks and they're going to they're going to have all the training in there and you can, you can really lap it up just to be really honest with what uh, you want. And then I think you have to have a real honest conversation with you of realistically what the salary is. And you have to think about, uh, is this what I want to do? And am I okay with the salary? And and I think you have to be really honest with you at the start. The, the Where it goes into a slippery downward spiral is if you want both, because life is not that easy. And um, you really have to pick what you want and you and you have to look at the business of architecture for what it is. And you have to remember that even though you've studied in architecture, all this stuff, really cool stuff, and you've learned a lot, you, when you go for a job, you're knocking on an employer's door and you knock, knock, knock with your portfolio in hand. Have to remember that the reason that there's an opening in the architecture practice is that it's a business and you have to solve that business's needs. And, and you have to remember what type of architectural practice it is. And you have to weigh up in there, in this big, messy world, what you want. But also, with the one thing I'd say is something I've made a lot of mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. I make some mistakes which cost me a lot of money in business and stuff. I made one mistake last year, which, you know, in theory, cost me a few thousand pounds, a lot, a lot of money. I chalk it up as a lesson. And if your first job in architecture isn't the right one for you, think why, you know, okay, I'm going to do something a bit different, but don't like the definition of insanity. Don't do the same thing and expect the same results. Don't stay in your job unhappy and think maybe I come in next Monday and things will change. You have to hold accountability. You have to have an honest conversation with yourself and you have to communicate with your line manager. And the last point I would say is remember that your line manager probably has a lot of problems, usually when they manage and they troubleshoot and and maybe they're overlooking some stuff, but equally they're not mind readers. And you have to raise issues up in a fair, open way. And you know what? If you raise a fair point and you get shut down, okay, then you have to then again decide what you want to do. Are you going to live with that? Are you going to put up with that crap? Or are you going to take accountability in your hands and look elsewhere? But also, you know, look at it from their point of view. Are they pushing you down? That they don't want to deal with your problems, or are they genuinely under the cosh? Is it whatever? And, and think about it from all points of views. But the buck stops with you. And the last, last, last thing I've learned is that it's very hard to change other people. Is is the only person you can really control is yourself. And, you know, and especially if anyone's married or in a serious relationship, you definitely know you can't change your partner. And if you go down that argument, you will lose quickly, but you can change yourself. And I think you have to think about, am I happy with this situation? Can I change the situation? And with money, uh, you have to think about, is it enough for me? Is it my main motivator? Yes or no. And that will influence the rest. Wow. Thank you, Stephen. Wow.
that's just incredible. Um, you know, thank you so, so much for being on this um, podcast where we, we are exploring the truth in the industry. And, you know, you've really spoken the truth tonight. And uh, I really uh, appreciate your honesty. You know, that's, that, that, that's what the Brock Architect is all about. I will drop your links into the um, promo on the on the podcast. And I just wanted to say that um, you um, are an ABS ambassador. If you just want to describe what that is as well, because um, they, they've recently contacted me. Sure, ABS. So the architects been able to say, I really enjoy it. You know, basically I use my big loud Welsh voice and megaphone to talk about what they're up to and, and kind of whack it out there. But you have a lot of people helping out. And what I like is that they help people out on the front line. So people will say now you have family and, and, and um, you're an architect, you've been in the industry for many years and you suddenly lose your job. They can really help you out, you know. They, whether or even if it's like mental well-being, there's something for there. They help people out financially. They also raise a lot of awareness that help. But you can also get involved and raise money for for people who are, you know, not in such a good situation, but fellow architects. And you yeah. can do it in a good way. Basically, like they've got one event called the Chicken Run, where basically you can you can wear a chicken. You do like five k's. <laughs> I hold one of the signs, right? So if you ever want to heckle me or whatever, you bring some eggs while you're doing the run, and I'll get you know I'll take an egg for the charity or whatever. But you know what I mean? You basically run through it, and you a chicken stew is optional. And you raise money for the charity and at the end you have a few beers or well i'll try and stick to the diet gins and tonics but you know you have a great time so they're an all-around good people helping real architects in the community and that's what i like about the architects benevolent society no thank you so much for that uh, that, that final comment and um you know i'm really this podcast is about highlighting what the architects benevolent society does and it seems a natural fit for you know, a podcast called The Brock Architect. Thank you so much, Stephen. Um, I appreciate your time. Cheers. Thanks, Jason, for having me. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Now I'd just like to say something about the Architects Benevolent Society. This is a society that is dedicated to supporting past and present members of the architectural community and their families in times of need, from those starting out on their careers to those who are now in retirement. They help people who have experienced illness, accident, redundancy, unemployment, bereavement, or other personal difficulties. Now support ranges from confidential advice to financial assistance. Now my um, ask to you all who's listening is consider giving a donation. Um, there's many ways you can do this and you can even volunteer for the ABS and even fundraise and also you can also leave a gift in your will. So who do the Architects Benevolent Society help? Well, architects, architectural technologists, landscape architects and employees of architectural practices but also uh, the dependents of, um, of, of the professions I've just stated there they also um, help and support students of architecture, architectural technology or landscape architecture. Now for more information on eligibility and to apply for help, please go to the ABS website which is absnet.org.uk. Thank you.
please share, subscribe and comment to support the channel. The Broke Architect The Broke Architect The Broke Architect The Broke Architect